There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to the Osher Ginsberg podcast. I'm Osher Ginsberg. Thank you so much for being here. This is episode 55 of the Osher Ginsberg podcast. If you're new, welcome. Thank you so much for being here. There are 54 other episodes for you to explore. So uh, I certainly hope you do that. You can go right ahead and find them, most of them, uh, over on uh, in iTunes, but the first few episodes don't show up anymore on the podcast feed, so you need to go and grab them at osherginsberg.com. My guest today is Dave Hughes. Follow him on Twitter now, at D Hughesy, D-H-U-G-H-E-S-Y. If you do like the show, um, please do subscribe, and magically it will appear in your telephone or however else you listen to podcasts. I say telephone like you speak on it, because we all know that nobody does anymore. But the, the, the small computer that you has a touchscreen on it that you use in your hand to play Angry Birds and and Candy Crush and Tinder. Uh, you can also, I'll shut up, just subscribe. You can also ask a question anytime you like. Send Osher email at gmail.com. Also, leave a voicemail if you want, osherginsberg.com. That's where my voicemail is. Please um, find me online, find me on Facebook, find me on Twitter. If you do like the show, the only thing that I would ask of you is that you just tell a friend. Um, that's it if you feel it's for you because that's the only way I get the word out about the show. If you think this show uh, is worthy of one of your mates listening to it, just tell them. Uh, send them a link. That'd be great. Uh, I hope your week's been good. My week's been pretty interesting. Pretty interesting. I, if you've been a long-time listener of the show, you'll know that uh, I live with anxiety and I've talked about it quite a lot and I am certainly on a mission to see how I can I'm not going to say defeat, but learn how to live with it the best that I possibly can. And and that, you know, how do I put this? Encompasses a large amount of things. You know, I have uh, some great doctors. I say doctors because there's more than one. Um, there's I take medication. I do a lot of exercise. I have a, a fairly solid practice. I don't drink, which I'll tell you about more in a second. Um, but I'm willing to explore anything else that, you know, could possibly be possibly, um, you know, help me work with that. And I, uh, I started recently, just like two weeks ago, this really interesting thing that's uh, actually quite, quite big in, uh, in Germany. It's a thing called the Grinberg method. So look, I don't know, you know, with all these things, it could, I, I don't think it's a placebo. It could be a placebo effects very powerful. Even if it is, I don't mind. Um, but it's really interesting. It's kind of like a kind of a mix between going to see your shrink and going to see a masseuse. It's, it's kind of like helping your body break the physical, habits that occur with emotional triggers if that makes sense like the tightening of your throat or the you know the pain in the stomach or or something else like that it's been so it's pretty intense it's a very intense um you kind of lie on a table and you get you get worked quite worked but um it's been really interesting i'm trying to between me and the, and the woman i'm working with trying to i guess you know trying to re-educate my body's reaction to fear which might be quite quite old maybe as young when i was as young as three or something like that so maybe my body's been reacting this way and, and she and i are trying to trying to re rework on that but i'll let you know how it goes but it's interesting but you know i think it's important to 
you know, explore. I mean, unless you, you know, kind of drinking cactus juice that's been fermented and then, you know, you've following quack, quacks around the world. Um, I think it's important to, you know, explore whatever works for you, man. Whatever works, whatever makes your day okay, because we've got a right to happiness, man. We do. And um, I hope uh, all of us can certainly certainly find that um very grateful to have a bicycle and riding i've been riding a lot this week which has been good i've converted one of my old bikes um the first bike i got actually to uh it's a it's just a, a grocery getting machine now it's got panniers it's got a cargo rack it's, it's brilliant venice beach looking I'm, I'm i'm the uncoolest kid in venice beach now because i've got gears on my bike you know my fixie hasn't seen them the light of day for a little while but enough about my bicycles i got a pb this morning going up to panga cannon canyon so that made me happy but anyway about today's show today's show is a very a very special episode of the osher Ginsburg podcast no it is it's a really a really intense episode dave hughes is my guest today dave hughes is probably australia's highest profile comedian Full stop. You can find him on Twitter at dhughesy, D-H-U-G-H-E-S-Y. He is, or has been up until very recently uh, on national television every night, uh, weeknights. Uh, he was on a, a TV show called The Project. I've interviewed Charlie Pickering on this show before. He was on the same show. Dave also did 12 years of breakfast radio in Melbourne, um, waking people up every day. Uh, so he was doing breakfast radio in the morning and then on, on TV at night. Now he now he just does 90-minute stand-up sets every night, which, as he talks about, is actually uh, quite easy. You can go see some of his stand-up sets. He's he's touring absolutely like crazy this year in Australia. DaveHughes.com is his um, uh, is his website, and you can buy tickets there. But he and I get really deep on this show. We get really, really deep. I found that um, – in this age of you know a news cycle that's 45 seconds long or as long as it takes for your Twitter to reload, the one thing that's really that I certainly connect with when I'm online is authenticity. And that's certainly what I try to bring in this show is, is an authentic conversation and me being as authentic as possible with you listening. So uh, with that in mind, Dave and I, we talk a lot. We talk about uh, how he managed to manifest what he wanted to be when he was 14 into what he became, which is pretty exciting. Um, we talk about working hard and we talk about drinking. Now, I've talked about this before. I've referred to it a few times before and I say, you know, I don't drink and, you know, people know that. But Dave and I, we have a very frank conversation about drinking and not drinking, actually. And it's a conversation that's very, very honest. It's very candid and it's all there. All right. Um, I was actually scared to publish this. So that should give you a clue of how real we get but I uh, haven't really gone into this much detail before, so you're going to hear it today. <laughs> you're going to hear it today. Yeah, but I'm glad it, that it was Husey. I'm glad that I could talk about it. When I did talk about it, I'm glad that it was with Husey because he plays a big role, as I talk about, in, um, in my perception of what it was to drink and what it was to not drink. Uh, I totally admire him and his absolutely staunch determination to change the course of his life. He changed the course of his life and he became the very thing that he wanted to be when he was 14 years old. And you're about to find out how. So enjoy. This is Dave Hughes. Excellent. Oh, these are my notes right here. Yep, sure, mate. Yeah, this, so I'm not, you know, I'm not. You're not looking at, I'm you're not, not bored, yeah. I'm not checking Twitter. It, yeah. I'm not just, you know, going, I'm not Gen, gen Ying you. Um, I'm not no, millennial. It's not just Gen Y. Geez. I'm not millennial you. Mate, it's, 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 we're all the same. Well, I'm, they're, they're unbelievable. They're so addictive, those stupid yeah. phones. It's crazy. <laughs> it's the opiate of the generator of everyone. Isn't of it? Any crew of everything. <laughs> what did I read on, on Reddit the other day? Um, how come. We look back at, at the, you know, those who, who came through the World War II and we call them uh, the greatest generation. What will they call us? And someone wrote, <laughs> fat social media addict who, in, who ignored climate change. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Yeah. That's what Pretty about. true. Yeah, that's fun. Hi, Dave Hughes. Hey, Osha. How are you, mate? I'm really good. This is great, man. We're in uh, Chinatown. In Chinatown in Sydney. 
12th floor of an apartment building. It's pretty lovely. I've been here for three weeks now. So I had the family here with me for about eight days, uh, but they've gone again. So, yeah, just me and the uh, – me and uh, yeah, me and uh, – some uh, restaurants downstairs, basically, which I visit all the time. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, prawn, prawn, and prawns and rice. Mate. What time does you? So you currently you're touring at the there's a theatre nearby. I'm assuming it's walking distance. No, no, it's not. Um, I was going to move. Uh, it's in Marrickville, uh-huh. uh, which is uh, you know about probably six k from here, maybe. It's the inner west of Sydney. It's the inner west, yeah. yeah. If you're in Melbourne, it's Coburg, I reckon. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. So um, maybe it's a bit. Oh, maybe yeah. No, it's Brunswick, maybe. Maybe it's Brunswick. I don't it's, know. Yeah, it's more, Brunswick. it's more Brunswick. Yeah. yeah it would have been like te- 10 years ago, Coburg. Yeah. Now Brunswick. It's what Coburg might become. Little hipper. Maybe. It's, yeah, Coburg it's, could get to Marrickville. Where everybody everybody was like, <laughs> uh, Surrey Hill's too expensive. <laughs> Inner West, let's go. And so that's that's where it's at. But you're playing, I think, uh, the 57 nights in a row. Yes. <laughs> yes. playing forever. But I am. I, I said to my management, because I quit TV and radio, I said, I want to do stand-up every night this year or next year, which was the, it was yeah, yeah. next year, which is this year now. Yeah. And uh, so they've put me pretty much every night. So, yep. And uh, it's a factory theatre, which is, uh, you know, I mean, I describe it as a bikey compound. It looks like a bikey compound. Uh-huh. And uh, but it's 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 grungy and it, and it, I'm happy there, mate. I'm happy. Yeah, I'm happy. That's great. And you so, <laughs> but you've just come from the Melbourne Comedy Festival as well. Yes, yes, where I played the comedy theatre. So yeah, I'm all over the place. In Adelaide, before that, I played a tent basically. Oh, real. The Adelaide Fringe, and uh, so I went from the Adelaide Fringe, which was really noisy. Like there'd be you'd think there's fireworks outside. I thought there was fireworks outside my tent for about three weeks in Adelaide, and then I went out there one night and realised it was a guy cracking a whip <laughs> right out the front of my tent. I don't know why, but it just was. Yeah. And the first night at the comedy theatre in Melbourne, it was like so quiet. I'm like, there's no one, there's no one cracking a whip. What's going on? I can't hear a Ferris wheel. So um, You can find all Dave's tour dates, davehughes.com.au. You can follow him on Twitter at dhughesy. The new show is pointless and you're obviously working your ring off. Well, I am, but I went from doing breakfast radio and every morning and TV most nights. So now I'm just doing, you know, an hour, an hour, an hour and a quarter of stand up every night. So really, relatively, it's just the easiest thing I've done in so many years. It's yeah, crazy. Right. Yeah. We'll, we'll get to that because I want, mm. I, want, I want to talk to you about that because yep. I, I met you right. I met you a few times. I don't remember the first time I met you. Yeah, right. Which yep. we'll talk about later yeah, on. Yeah. Um, but uh, I did want to kind of go back a bit because I'm kind of fascinated. Growing up in Brisbane, it's kind of weird. So much of the culture of Australia uh, comes through Melbourne and Sydney, right? And so much of the culture of those people comes from particularly Victoria, country Victoria fuels a lot of what comes out of Melbourne. And same with kind of rural New South Wales fuels a lot of what comes out of Sydney. So growing up in Brisbane, I remember like being exposed to a lot of culture that was coming, particularly with shows like Hey Hey and um, seeing uh, Graham Kennedy late at night on the TV. They were talking about Australia that I just didn't recognise. Yep. Now talking about this weird football that had never come our way. <laughs> you know, we had a football team, but it was on the Gold Coast, and some guy with a blonde mullet and pink sh- yeah. pink shoes was playing yeah, it. The Bears, Brisbane Bears, played at the Gold Coast. Yeah, yeah. Yep. hundred. It's like an hour mm. and a half away. It's like, yep. I didn't even understand the rules of this game. Yeah, none Warwick. of the go- none of the none of the grounds in in Brisbane were AFL grounds. Yeah. They're all rugby league grounds. So sure. it made no sense. Yeah. So I'm interested. What was it like? I know, I know what it's like to grow up in uh, in the suburbs of Brisbane. What was it like growing up in Warrnambool? Warrnambool was well, a town of about 20,000, 25,000 people now. And, uh, yeah, well, it was it was my early life was dominated by AFL footy. It's like all I could dream of was was playing in the big league, you know, going to Melbourne and playing for, for Carlton, which was my team and still is. And I still – I'm still I'm I'm still on there. I still follow Carlton every single day. There's an app on my phone which is the Carlton Footy Club app, and I I look at it two or three times a day. They don't even update two or three times a day, but I'm, I just keep looking at it to see is there anything else they can tell me. <laughs> I'm 43. It's ridiculous. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I grew up just to want to wanting to play sport. You know, either AFL footy or, or cricket or tennis or golf or something. I just want to be a sports hero. That's pretty much all I wanted to do. Yeah. So I discovered comedy when I was probably 13 or 14. I saw some stand-up tapes with Jerry Seinfeld and Roddy Dangerfield and a guy called Sam Kinison. I'm, I'm, there was one particular tape actually just of an of a LA comedy club and Sam Kinison was the guy. Is he, Google him. He used to um, 
rave on about his own life and uh, well, in a self-deprecating way but just get angry about the fact that his wife didn't like him and stuff or, you know, and it just it really connected with me. And I thought, you know, that's a way to do – I want to do comedy like that guy. So yeah. I had that in the back of my head from the age of 14 that I wanted to do comedy. I didn't tell anyone but it was there. Because I, I remember only seeing Sam Kinison through – he used to pop up on a lot of those heavy metal videos. He would, right. He showed yeah. up on the Bon Jovi video yeah. for Bad Medicine and he showed yeah. up – he used to scream a lot. Yes, he was – he yelled a lot, absolutely. But um, just amusing. Me, it was just he was talking about real life and getting angry, but it was just really funny. So yeah, yeah. So, I know. So I've only so I've never seen a full concert of his. I just I've only seen like five minute bits, but just in those bits, I thought that that is a way I want to do comedy, you know. And and I sort of do a little bit. I try to talk about my own life and find the funny, and you know, which most comedians do. But yeah, anyway. But he was, uh, you know, it's it's not. I'd say. I mean, I don't know that much about stand up. I'm a, I like it and I follow the lineage a bit, but I'd say he kind of kind of took what kind of Hicks was doing in a way and just kind of ran with it a bit. Yeah, I would have said he's more personal than Bill Hicks. I thought Bill Hicks was not as personal in his – well, I mean, not that I don't like Bill Hicks, but I just – yeah, for me, yeah. I, it's that personal, real personal stuff that, yeah, I really yeah. enjoy. Mm. He's got one of the two. There's one secret road in LA if you want to get – in and out of uh, of Hollywood, it's not. It's it runs between Santa 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 Monica Boulevard and Sunset Boulevard to go east and west. Right, because yeah. both Santa Monica Boulevard and Sunset Boulevard are packed. Yeah, there's one secret street that, and Sam has this great line: um, "Don't drink and drive, but if you do, take fountain." <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's the yeah, street. He, well, no he, one's ever on fountain. He died in a car accident too, I believe. Didn't he? I think he did. It was a big rock and roll death. Yes, yeah. he was a large in the life guy, <laughs> big guy. But you know, so you're growing up in country Victoria, and here's this guy who's like in the heart of the hair metal rock and roll scene yeah. in LA. How did it? Was it like it? It was just the way that he related to his life. Yeah, it just got into my head that that's a way to do comedy, and you know, I mean, I. And I, I, I always love comedy. Like if I saw, you know, if I saw, if I saw a comedy uh, movie and and I liked it, I would bring all my friends around and I'd watch it with them. As I'd say, come and watch this. This is really funny. And and even you know, putting a, a you know, flying high or maybe before that, some sort of some sort of movie. I'd go watch this with me, and I would get joy out of watch them watching a movie I'd already seen because I thought it was funny. And so yeah, I'd loved sort of even helping people laugh by pointing them in direction of good comedy. So. Yeah, I just loved it. Fly, mate, those Zucker Brothers movies. Ah, oh, classics. So good. I yeah. use it every single every single time. Nervous? Yes. <laughs> First time? No, I've been nervous lots of times. <laughs> it's just <laughs> such a great line. They're classic movies. Yeah. I met him once. He's the father of the guitar player in uh, Sherry Curry's band. Sherry Curry from The Runaways. My buddy was playing bass with him. Oh, right. And yeah. he's backstage. At this show in Orange County, I'm like, holy shit, it's yeah. you. And he yeah. was super cool. Yeah. He told the stories from set. Robert Banks, I think his name is. Yeah, right. Yeah. He yeah. told the stories from set. And yeah, no, yeah. It's, yeah. I mean, I saw it the other night, actually. It was just, it was just on and I just. Didn't, I have it on my iPad. Yeah, really. And I watch it on planes. <laughs> I watch it on planes, which is always kind of funny when you think about the people behind you because there's lots of plane crash yeah, yeah. scenarios yeah. there. It's the wrong day to give up smoking. And the wrong, <laughs> day, wrong day to, yeah. What's it? Yeah. Hell, I need to quit sniffing glue. <laughs> So were you, were you then trying the stuff out at school? Were you not really? No, I was um, no. But if I was forced, mostly if I was forced to get in front of the group, like you know, do, I mean, my my first probably gig was a year eleven uh, RE speech, religious education speech, and I hadn't done any, hadn't written a speech about it, a saint called Sally Trench. Did not know anything about her, but I had the book, and so I just opened the book in front of the class and started reading out of this book about this saint called Sally Trench, and uh, I just killed the room the room just loved it i got this, i was the only class i've ever failed in um in high school was this class this, the brother brother o'brien was not happy with me <laughs> i got perfect scores off all the kids who had to also judge the speeches of everyone i got i got like 10 out of 10 off everyone but i failed that that class the only class i've ever failed and that was oh really that was probably the start of my stand-up career was that year 11 re class where i just absolutely nailed it with an improv speech about a saint called sally trench mm. <laughs> The patron saint of uh, stand-up comedy. Well, she's to me. She'll always be special <laughs> to me. I can't remember what she did, but you can Google her. Because we went, we both went to Christian Brothers schools. Yes, yes. It's a pretty weird existence. They're weird, and there's no doubt that the brothers are, are weird. They're all odd. I mean, I didn't experience anything that or the, any of the uh, shocking things that obviously a lot of people did. But um, yeah, they're very. They're a low left of center. A lot of those brothers. I kinda, you know, I wonder what it was like as a 
you know, the guys that I was taught by, they would have been in their mid forties, late mid fifties. So what time I was in school in the eighties. So we're talking like mid sixties, yeah, late fifties, they would have gone, I'm going to go be a Christian brother. Yeah. Like, it boggles my mind. It's weird. I mean, there was a lot of, there was, I mean, religion back then was much more important in society than it is today though. So my, my Nana was very religious and wanted me to be a priest, but she died when I was, I think I was 13 and it was, I was not going to be a priest. So we stopped going to church after Nana died. Actually the whole family stopped. So what that uh, week or did they yeah, wait I a think, little oh, We went to the funeral and that was about it. <laughs> I did. A, I actually did. A, I did a reading at a funeral and did well there as well. <laughs> <laughs> did you bring up Saint Sally Trench? Again? I didn't do it. That was before Sally. <laughs> All right. Uh, yeah, I remember. Like, just I remember one time. I, I won't say the name of the Christian brother it was, but I remember that we were in RE and there's this guy in my class. And you're like, fifteen year olds can be horrible. Ah, oh, it's, it's brutal. brutal. There was one, one particular brother who clearly like devoted his life to this, and he was going. Well, if God is so compassionate, why does he let children die in car accidents? Yeah. And he had this Christian brother, in grown man, in tears saying, it's God's permissive will. It's God's permissive will. And these guys, but what about war? What about this? How yeah. dare he? And this <laughs> grown man was sobbing in front of a class of 15-year-old little pricks. <laughs> You're like being asked to defy yeah. and defend his calling, so these little bastards. Oh. They're having to teach those kids every day and then what do you go home to? There's no real who, – who, I don't know. I mean you, you don't have a, a partner so you sort of – don't tell me they're not lonely. I mean anyway, it's just a bizarre life and yeah. it, basically the Christian brothers are being phased out I think. I think it's really not really happening. My school still goes. I yeah. know that much. Well, I mean, the school that I went to is still there, but there's no Christian Brothers teaching really? there. No, none at all. No, no. I don't know. I honestly think they're, they're winding down the whole Christian Brother order. I think, I don't think it's, anyway, I think I read that there recently. But yeah, so there were some good Christian Brothers, but they did look, a lot of them were, appeared to be insane. <laughs> <laughs> So was it, was your school like my school? Like if you don't go to uni and go to do law, then you're an absolute failure. Was no, that- I was. Our school wasn't that uh, oh. wasn't that high achieving. I got I got the highest marks in my year twelve class. Nice one. Yeah, I couldn't. If I wanted to do law, I couldn't do. I didn't get enough marks to get into law. So oh. the highest marks in our year twelve, which was me, didn't get enough to get into law. So yeah, there wasn't it was the bar wasn't set very high at our school. To be uh-huh. So after after school, like, did you do you go to schoolies in Warrnambool? I went to schoolies in uh, in uh, Mildura. It was a really poor decision. My friends, a lot of my friends went to the Gold Coast, and I decided to go with a, a couple of mates and one of their one of my mates' girlfriends to uh, Robinvale, which is near Mildura. Which was um, it was a bad decision, but I was and I was a sort of in a way I was a shy kid, and I just didn't want to be with everyone. I don't know. I was was yeah. I was I wasn't I wasn't as extroverted as I am now, basically. I wasn't as comfortable in my own skin when I was 17 as I am now. Right. Mm. So I didn't want to be with, with a big group in Queensland. Anyway. It was horrible. I went to school for an afternoon. It was horrible. <laughs> Just, it was like I remember going to someone's apartment and uh, it, smelled, it was not unlike this apartment, but it had, I think, 15 people in it. Yeah. All right. And it smelled like. Uh, 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 a first 15 is locker room's worst nightmare. It just smelt like crotch fungus and stale yeah. beer. Well, I lived in a house like that for like three or four years after school. I certainly I quickly accustomed myself to um, drinking with my friends and uh, living with them. We used to live in we live in a house called the Madhouse. The whole all our friends are nicknamed the Madhouse, and my mates would come around. Uh, into this, it was four of us living there. On a Saturday night, everyone would come around and drink stubbies in the lounge room, and then just start smashing the stubbies against the wall. And then, and then they would just all go home. So we're left with just <laughs> like broken glass all over the Which floor. at the time, you know, the first person that smashes the <laughs> well, the first person that smashes the bottle on the wall, like fuck yeah, yeah exactly. It's super exciting. It is exciting unless you've got it. But but we would just accept that that's what they did. It was like and then we would walk around and, we, and if we, we couldn't walk around in bare feet because you would cut yourself in your own lounge room. So you'd have to put shoes on to – we didn't even think about cleaning up the glass. <laughs> just wear shoes. <laughs> did it build up week after week? Well, look, they must have had a couple of clean outs. But oh, we're also stray cats would infest you – know, like we'd have cats, you know, like – Feral cats living in the house. That's disgusting. <laughs> Were you working? I was going to uni at that time, yeah. So So you did get in? 
I got into uni. I didn't get into law. I wanted to do law. I mean, I dreamed of doing law. That was back in when LA Law was on television. Oh, yeah. Remember that show? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I thought that's my way to, you know, get lucky with the girls. So uh-huh. I'd be a hotshot lawyer. Oh, yeah. Anyway, it didn't happen. But yeah, so <laughs> I ended up doing, I did IT actually in 1989, which was uh, the first year this uh, Swinburne University in Melbourne had offered IT. And uh, I, I got a scholarship. So I got decent marks, but didn't get me into law, but got this scholarship at IT. And I, I quit after six weeks. And if you look at if you look back at history, the internet started in 1990. So I had a scholarship to do IT in 89. So who knows what I could have been doing. <laughs> I quit uni too after six weeks. I wonder why. It's it was same. a cutoff point before you had the to hex, pay your hex. That's exactly why I, I quit as well. <laughs> That's After a, six weeks, you had to pay your hex. Yeah, I got out. You want to pay the hex. That's exactly when I bailed. <laughs> exactly when I bailed. I think they cancelled that last night. Didn't they cancel hex last night? There's the budget going on. Or they got to pay more for, I don't know. Yeah. There's so like, we're, we're recording this the day after the, the federal budget. So that'll yeah. give you an idea of, mm. of when we are. But yeah, I remember like that second to last week going, yeah, no. <laughs> no, this is all too hard. Oh, I don't have that three grand debt. I'm out. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Come on, three grand when I was <laughs> twenty was so, yeah. Well, it's only three hundred grand. Yeah, I went went back and did a couple of years of business back in Warnable actually, and 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 started. And that's when I was living with my mates in this house where we were breaking everything. <laughs> but um, yeah, and it took me many many years to pay off the debt for two years of uni. Right. Mm. What did girls think when they came back to this house? Well, they didn't really. They didn't <laughs> come down. Oh, look, a couple of the guys had girlfriends, and they were you know not happy about the situation, but. You know, I mean, it was a real boys' house where he almost resented the fact that one of the guys had a girlfriend, and it would, and she would complain about the glass all over the floor, and we're like, "Well, guys, I mean, you know, it's our house. She's not paying rent. That's not, that's not our fault." <laughs> I remember those. I remember living in a share house like that with blokes that I was in a band with. Yeah, and um, my first proper girlfriend, Simone. I remember she invited me around to her place. And I was like, "Wow, your sheets are like clean, and your house smells like lavender," and. There's no dishes in the sink. <laughs> yes, I'd like to stay over. <laughs> and then I just kind of stopped living at the other house because it's like it's clean and it smells nice. In that my house, I had a when this share house, I had a room called the cave, and and it, that had been etched into the wall. The cave it had no it had no window. There was no window in the room at all, and um and the the ceiling would every night would just sort of crumble on me it's like it just i'd be raining with like i don't know what it was plaster or cement or with something would just rain down on me every night so every every morning or every, every next night when i have to go to bed i would have to i'd just turn the turn the, the mattress over so all the all the roof crumbs went to the <laughs> went to the floor nothing worse than roof crumbs <laughs> roof crumbs are terrible They're bad roof crumbs are bad so at what point did you end up in Perth and how did you get over there? I failed uni after two years of, you know, back in, you know, to bong smoking and just, again, failing my last, in this business course, failing my last exam, I remember hopelessly failing it. Um, I had the thought, I want to do comedy anyway, so it's a waste of time. I shouldn't be here anyway. Yeah. And that was, I was like 21 and then I, a mate was going to Perth. He had a panel van. His name was Rat and he said, I'm going to Perth. And I'm like, oh. That sounds like a good idea to me. So he had his, you know, he had some, I went to Perth with him with rats. In a panel van. In a panel van. And uh, what do you remember about that road trip? Because there's people listening to this in the States. What can you explain to them about how far that is and what you see on that almost trip? Almost what, four and a half thousand kilometers, and there's nothing, nothing on the road whatsoever. Um, so all, all I remember is we we uh, we ran into an eagle, and then the eagle got stuck in our in the grill of the panel van. So yeah, while you're driving, while we're driving, we ran into we hit an eagle, a bald face, a bald one of the wedge tails, the big ones. It was a big one, yeah, it's a big eagle, and I've still I think it's a photo somewhere of me holding up this poor dead eagle, but um yeah on the side of the road, um but there's nothing on that road. It's just absolutely nothing. Do you sleep in the back of the panel? Ah, uh, kind of we uh, we must have. I think we might have stayed in motels. I can't remember. But I, I actually remember coming back when I left Perth. I drove. I came back in like forty hours in in a, in a three, a car I'd paid three hundred dollars for, and um, it's cheaper than a plane ticket. Yeah. <laughs> And I almost did it straight. I wanted to get back for Christmas Day. I don't know. I was sentimental back then. But, yeah, so I went over to Perth, started doing stand-up comedy over there. So it was in my head to do comedy and it was good to be away from almost everyone I knew, which is a long way from home, 4,000 kilometres. So, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. I I mean, I remember the first time I went to Perth, it was like, this should really be another country. 
It's it, a long way it away. Should, it's not even like even that. It feels like it's not really yeah. like the rest of Australia. Well, it's the most isolated city in the world, major city in the world. Yeah, so sure it, yeah. But the culture there as well is so different to the rest yeah, of the country. It is absolutely. Um, they're all very uh, attractive. They're all like, goodness. Yeah, they are. Yeah. yeah. So it's an outdoors culture. Um, but mate, for me, it was a big city compared to Warrnambool. You know. Yeah. So yeah, it was a good stepping stone before you get to Melbourne, basically. So, uh, so yeah. Melbourne was always it? I'll melt for comedy in Australia. I think Melbourne's the place to be. There's more you know, TV comedy made in Melbourne. So yeah. the Melbourne Comedy Festival is massive. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so I think for comedians, most comedians would say that Melbourne is the, the place to be in Australia. Would it, So I, I read somewhere, I don't know how true it is, did you work in an abattoir? I did, yes. That was after I quit the information technology course in 89, went back home. I was living in Melbourne there for six weeks when that happened. I went back home and dad was very unhappy that I'd quit uni and to get a job straight away, basically, or you're not living here. And um, so there was, I went and lined up at the local abattoir. You just sit there waiting for someone, you know, you might sit there for a few days and you know, one, and then one day they'll go, yep, it's your turn. So, really? Yeah. So you just wait in line? At the you front. wait in line, yeah, you sit in the, sit in the, you know, five o'clock in the morning, you turn up there and just sit there hoping that you'll get a, get a, a gig and, uh, yeah, so I, they never gave me a knife. I didn't want a knife because I, I knew I wasn't going to – I didn't want to stay there. I thought if I get a knife and learn how to do this, maybe I'll stay here. I don't want to stay here. So I was just basically – I used to run the sheep up while they were still alive. And I was very friendly to the sheep, you know. I would talk to them and other guys would look at me like I was nuts. But I was just – I liked the sheep, you know. Just, I'd be pleasant to them just before they met their maker. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> that is uh, – what kind of men – Work in an abattoir. Uh, look, all sorts of men, some intelligent men, some stupid men. And, you know, it was, I mean, look, I, as I was, I mean, remember a couple of years ago in Australia, there was a big furore about what goes on in Indonesian abattoirs. And I, I, I remember I was on the project at the time and I actually said this. I said, guys, I've worked in Australian abattoir. There's not much difference. I mean, some of the, it's really, it can be really hard on, on these, these animals. There's no doubt. I saw some shocking things when I was working that abattoir. It was 20 years ago, but I still, yes, people, they, they just think they, a lot of the, well, hopefully it's changed, but back then a lot of the, some of the guys would consider the fact that these animals were about to die. So how I treat them just before they die, not important. So it was, it was some disgusting things. Right. And did it, how did it affect what uh, you ate? I just, it didn't affect me that much. Well, I don't eat meat now, but um, that took a few years though. But um, yeah, at the time it didn't affect me that much. I, ne- I mean, I never mistreated an animal and I saw a lot of animals mistreated and uh, just by just idiots, you know, who just don't realise what they're doing. But, you know, if, if, if people saw the videos of that, they would, you know, they, they, these some of these advertisements would be closed down. It's a bit, <clears throat> mistreating animals is a weird one, isn't it? It is. Because, like, yes, it's going to be a sausage in about six hours, but it's still a sentient being yes. that quite obviously feels pain. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. But, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, a lot of people don't, they just don't think about it. Yeah. You know, they don't think about it. Um, you can follow Husey on Twitter. You should because he's ace, at dhusey, H-U-G-H-E-S-Y, and you can find his show Pointless. It's around the country, davehughes.com.au. You can book tickets there, which is which is awesome. Yeah, I've just got that. I basically organised that website this year because I, you know, quit TV and radio and thought I need my own website. But then yeah, I really should update it more often. You know, you've gone solo, <laughs> mate. You gone solo. I dig it. You gone, you gone solo. You're, you're, you're a new man. But I think it, in many ways, like I, you know, I talk about this on this show. I used to work as a as a roadie before I, I got into radio. Yeah. So I was like, that's why I can't hear very well now. And, and yeah, I have hernias and things like that. So I did just a couple years of just shit jobs, yeah, like right. lifting heavy things. Yeah. And like, was that the same? And I. And I do enough of them to be like, oh, I'll be more than happy to stay awake from midnight till six in the morning doing radio because this is way better than lifting a PA down the front steps of the surface beer garden. Absolutely. I mean, I, you know, in between, you know, collecting dole checks for a number of years, I did laboring work just to, you know, just try to, you know, make ends meet. Um, so, yeah, I've done, a, I've done a number of crap jobs. And, yeah, I, you ne- I never want to lose uh, the gratitude of, of ending up with a career where you just talk and people pay you money. It's, it's an amazing thing and uh, it's been going for quite a while now and uh, I, work, I still work very hard because I still love that fact. I, I love the... Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. 
To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. Job, but I love the fact that it is a job and that I get paid to do it. It's amazing. Well, you've, you've put into reality this dream you had when you were a 14-year-old. Yes. It's pretty – not many people get to do that. No, it's, it, it's nice. Absolutely. It's, 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 it's pretty amazing. Um, when you were, uh, you know, first writing a lot of – I know when I was in bands, when we were first playing in bands and when the first songs we wrote sounded like all the bands that we liked. When you were first writing, were you like the Australian Sam Kinison or – Oh, look, I think – I'd like to think that I didn't follow other people's um, – you know, I, I like to think I did my own thing. And I, I know that early on in Perth and, and in Melbourne that other comedians would look at me and shake their head and go, what are you doing? Like, this is, that's not how you do comedy, you know. And, and I was very inconsistent when I first started because I would do new stories almost all the time. And um, some, of them, some nights I'd fire and other nights just get zero. And, you know, when it's a new joke or when you're just doing new material and uh, you don't know where the laughs are coming from. And so if you don't get laughs early, you just die. <laughs> it's like all, all your confidence gets just blown away in the first 30 seconds. And then, but I would stay on stage and, and, and which was just, you know, just, I was just pig headed basically. So, and sometimes I would get laughs out of the fact that I wasn't getting laughs, which is, you know, which was good, but other times I wouldn't. Right. I'd just end up just having to leave the stage in disgrace. But there's something about, your delivery when you're doing stand-up, that is funny in itself. Yeah, not always, not always. And it wasn't always funny and then people early on didn't think it was funny at all sometimes. So, yeah, and, uh, you know, and it can, it can appear, especially early on, appear very unpolished. Like what the hell is that guy doing up there just talking, telling stories about his own life that no one cares about? <laughs> That's just pointless, mate. What are, you, what are you doing? So, you know, I had many – I had a lot of very um, and, uh, encouraging or comedian to encourage me, but, yeah, some of them just going, mate, just, I don't know what you're doing up there. So who were the ones that went, keep it up? Oh, well, Dave Grant is an Australian comedian who since has passed away at a very young age, actually. I think he was, you know – just after 50 basically which is um and he was he was one of those guys who not maybe not everyone knows of but all comedians especially no it's comedians all around australia really uh, just loved dave grant because he was a professional comedian who took the time to help out guys who were just starting no matter who they were and he was just a absolute gem of a guy he came over to perth actually when i was over there sort of struggling away in my first year or so and just really encouraged me said you know and for me he was a big melbourne comedian who was to just you know on another level obviously and he came over there and he really he really just took the time and go mate you've got something here so yeah dave grant who's uh r.i.p dave but he was a, many people will tell you how how great he was to young comedians right and at what point did uh you know, did did radio or TV, was that on the radar? Did you go, I'm going to end up like that? Or? Yeah, look, I used to look at people like Richard Stubbs, you know, and like he was a stand-up comedian who ended up in radio on TV and that's a, that's a career path for me. So, uh -huh. yeah, so, um, yeah, early on, obviously, in Australia, that's a, a good way to make a living. It's very hard back then to make a living just doing stand-up comedy. It was just not really wasn't – you had to get somewhere else to even make a living and I think that's a, the same in many parts of the world as well. Mm -hmm. I mean, England really seemed to value their stand-up comedians more than other places where people just make a living just doing stand-up comedy. But you know, I know in America you've got to probably get on somewhere, you've got to do something or you're going to bloody have a struggling existence a lot of the time. Yeah, or you're doing like seven, seven slots yeah, a night, running up and down Sunset Boulevard <laughs> doing seven fifty bucks, $20 slots, five minutes somewhere. I know, I know. 
But um, so I, when I, I came back to Melbourne after about a year and or almost two years in Perth and started doing the comedy in Melbourne and sort of had to start again, but I knew I had something. I knew I had something. Uh-huh. So I was, I was never going to stop. I was going to get there. And uh, so, yeah, but, and then, yeah, you get going and then you, you hope the radio and TV come along and they did, they did, it didn't take that long. It was a few years of struggle. But it What did. was the first, uh, was it TV first? Was it a spot? TV, I it? did a spot on Hey Hey It's Saturday, which is, um, I'd actually auditioned for Red Faces, which is their amateur, you know. Yeah, it was like a, a gong show. A gong a, show. A Saturday night gong show. This is a, like a landmark TV show that yeah. was on every night. Every Saturday night for God, thirty years. Yeah, so I auditioned to go on there. And ended about ten years too late. Yes, <laughs> but I auditioned to go on their amateur hour or their amateur show. They got their red faces and twice and just got nowhere. The second time, the security guard walked me out of the building because huh. he thought I was getting too aggressive with the guy. Because there was just one guy looking at my act and he was looking at his clipboard. And I said, as I'm doing my act, and he's just looking at his clipboard. I said, mate, I'm up here. You can just look at me. <laughs> the security guard didn't like that. <laughs> walked me out of the building. But probably a year <laughs> later, I got on. I, you know, a professional sort of comedy spot on the show. Yeah. So, and I talked about being on the dole on, on unemployment benefits and um, that, which was my signature bit at the time. And I was on unemployment benefits, but then it went really well. It was like the most nervous I've ever been in my life and I have not been that nervous since. And, uh, but it went well. So, uh, you know, I couldn't sleep about two days afterwards. I was yeah. in shock that I'd been on this TV show that I'd watched as a child in the country, you know? So, and that was the start. I thought that would kick start me straight away. It didn't really No, but, uh, but from there I, Ended up getting regular spots on radio, on on community radio, Triple R, which is a Melbourne radio station. Then, and then I on the Melbourne Gar- Comedy Gala in nineteen ninety nine is when I um I went on that went on that sh- you know trying to get on that for a few years. I knew I, I could do something if I got. So on this that. is like the greatest hits version of the uh, comedy festival. Yeah, I so it's like twenty comedians all on one night yeah. on TV. Um, you know, there's yeah. a mil- million people watching or whatever, and my spot just connected, and from that. The next day, I was there was the Melbourne Comedy Festival was on then. From the next day after that had been on TV, my audience went from fifty people through to three hundred, cool. like bang like that. Wow! And that and then that was it basically. From yeah. there on, I've um you know from that that next day, I thought. I'm okay here. I'm going to be able to make a living out of this. Right. <laughs> yeah, so. that's, a, that's, that's incredible because you're talking about a time that's never going to happen again. I mean, those both those times in Australia, this is a time before big broadband internet. Yes. A time before Foxtel was yes. really, cable mm. was big. So there really was only four channels. Yes. Five if you had the special aerial to you're get right. the, the fifth you're one. You're right. So everyone watched the same thing. They did. That was, yeah, absolutely. That was, yeah. Was and it? I, I think I remember watching that set actually. Mm, you know, I talked about was, fish and chips. I remember that was the, yeah. And so just what, for, it just connected. You yeah. know, it was a simple little story. It just connected. And yeah, it just, just uh, that was, yeah. So, and since then I've, uh, you know, I've been okay financially. What was today? Uh, Saint, what's her name? Oh, oh Sally Trench. Sally, Sally Trench. Trench. She has been looking over me ever since Saint year Sally 11. Trench has been looking over you since 1988. <laughs> 1987. 87, that was, 87, yeah. 87, yeah. year 11. Yeah, yeah, yeah there mm. you go. Saint Sally Trench. Because <laughs> um, that's, uh, you know, so very quickly after that, how do you how do you manage that as a, as a stand-up? Like do you, do you go like, right, like you do now, book me, I want to go or – what do you do? Um, after you, people come to see yeah. you. Oh, look, it was, I, you know, it was just great being, to be, to be, as a comedian, if you can turn up to a venue knowing people are going to be there to see you, that's an amazing thing. Yeah. That is just something that you, you, I mean, I cherish to this day. You uh-huh. know, not that I sell at every venue I'm at. Believe me, I have nights where there's not that many people there. But to know that overall there's going to generally going to be people who are going to come and want to see you, which is fantastic. But then I sort of got offers on TV and ra- on radio. I started doing radio in 2001 like full-time radio breakfast radio so and it was a really good offer and that basically went for 12 years and i ended up doing tv as well for most of that time as well on the glass house on on the abc which is once a week and then and ran up on rove as well and and on um and another show in australia called the project which was for five years every night which i used to be with you on colossal like what an incredible ride do you remember remember the when you first got off at breakfast radio and like when do i have to get up (laughs) yeah well i know but it was yeah i mean i was always a nighttime a night person so it was an absolute shock but like again when you get an offer of a certain amount of money and you're like really you're gonna give me that like every week I get that much money. It's, like, it's really hard. But that's a hell it's really it's, hard to stop. A lot of, of stand-ups have such a hard time making that transition. You go from 
I've got my cozy one hour. If you're a if you're a killer stand up, my buddy Luke Heggie, he's doing a show yeah, at the yeah. moment. He writes a new hour every year. Yeah. I see how much work he puts into that yeah, hour, yeah. and he just fine tunes it. Yeah, like, yeah. and he's at the the smallest lathe and like little sandpaper. He yeah, just pulls yeah. microseconds out of timing, and a joke will turn like yeah. that. And he works his balls off mm. to get it right. And then it's like, right, you're gonna do that every day for a year. <laughs> well, obviously, you're not gonna you're not gonna polish it like like. But it's a lot. It's a lot of material. Like, it's a lot of material. Some stand-ups just can't do it. No. Well, no. That yeah yeah. I mean, did you feel that pressure? Like, oh, you felt pressure every day. Every- yeah, absolutely. Every night before you go to bed, you go, God, what what's funny that happened today? And yeah, every day you have that. And but you get better at it. You know, it's like you just got to do it. So you just you find stuff and and you know and it's it's actually helped me getting back into full-time stand-up where I'm just more prepared to throw ideas out there now uh-huh. because I've said, you know, for years you have to do it on radio. I mean, you've got no audience in front of you. you just they're at home or wherever they are. But but you've got to come up with ideas and you've got to throw them out there. So for now where I'm doing stand-up, I'll just, you know, I'll walk on stage tonight and I'll, there's a couple of ideas that I've, I'm just going to throw out there, you know, and like because I thought of them today and I've got to, you know, give them a go. So, yeah, you, you get better at just uh, trusting yourself uh-huh. and trusting your ideas. That your brain's got the your brain's got the ability got the to maths yeah to, I to know work how to make a, this part into yes, a funny story. There's a joke here. I'm going to yeah. find it. You don't always find it, but you, you're going to have a go at but it. But you push off from the dock, not knowing. Yeah, absolutely. How you're land. Yes. Uh, absolutely. How exciting! It's fun. It's, it's so a lot exciting. of fun. I love it. It's the most the best part about my job is having an idea and then taking that to stage and then it working. That's just beautiful. I love it. Just being in that flow state must be yeah, it's, it's a thrill, man. Well, you you know, you're just you're waiting at a pedestrian crossing and you have an idea. I think it's a joke there. And then and then you just it it, it bubbles away in your mind and you and then you, and you something else will connect to that idea and then you get to stage and you've got the joke there. And maybe you've got half the joke and you get in stage and tell a joke and then you say something, you think of something on stage to at the end of it, which becomes the the main part of the joke. But yeah, it's, it's it's I love that process. Some guys would never dare to do that. So I get what you're saying. You're at mm. that, you know, that 10,000 hours of, you know, breakfast radio has yeah, served well, you well. Well, yeah, but it's just a matter of just doing it, you know, it's getting up there. And I used to do that when I first started, not to often not to much success, but it was just that just go for it. Just go for it. You got nothing to lose. Did you notice like doing the the 12 years of breakfast radio, did that affect did your stand-up change while you were doing that? Oh, it, in a way, just because you weren't able to do it every night. So, you know, I would only – I mean, I never stopped doing stand-up. I know a lot of comedians who start as – they're really good stand-ups and they get an opportunity in the media and they just don't do stand-up anymore. And it's just – I never wanted to be that guy. Mm. I always wanted to do stand-up. I love it. You know, it's like some people love playing golf. I love doing stand-up comedy. Mm. So, you know, it's just a joy for me. So, yeah, but just having not doing it every day – is is harder and so you i mean i do you know big theaters but and and i hadn't done stand-up for like a month or you know not a month but maybe two weeks i haven't done stand-up for two weeks and i'm you know at the end more theater in sydney and you feel the pressure there because you haven't got you're not warm so you just got to really that's when the nerves kick in i've got a buddy i've got to you know start cold to a large group of people and um yeah so but being at the moment i'm doing it every night so it's just joyful to be able to just walk on stage every night knowing you're in a comfortable zone already before you even walk on stage. It's like seeing a it's like seeing a band when they've just come off a US tour. They've done 55 or 110 nights and you see them they're just tighter than a fish. They're just yeah, amazing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. They're just breathing mm. each other's air mm. and they're just totally going yeah, for it. Yeah. I always like there's a, a great interview uh, that Jay Moore did with Leno and uh, when he, uh, he hit him up, he's like, tell me about the not spending any of the talk show money. This is ridiculous. <laughs> what are you doing? And Lono just flat out told him and says, I don't spend a cent because I'm not a talk show host. I'm a stand-up. <laughs> All the money I, I live off, I make doing stand-up because that's what I am. I'm a stand-up. And that's how he defined himself. Yeah, no, that's, that's now he's retired. He's got a gajillion bucks. What's he going to do with it? Yeah, but that is, I mean, I I, I hear, I, I I do appreciate that he would always do stand-up comedy. and, and Every weekend? Yes. Every single weekend. Because of the freedom of it. Like you've got a TV show, you've, you can only speak for a certain amount of time before the ad break or before someone in your ear tells you that to shut up. Stand-up comedy, you've got an idea, you just go with it, you know, and you don't have to, there's no, the parameters of television are like, I can't say that because that's insensitive. It, mm. It's nowhere near as, 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 as full on on stage. You can actually go places and the crowd are with you and they know what you're doing. So, What can you tell people, and we, I've talked about this a bit on this show, what can you tell people about the relationship that you have with your co-host when you're doing breakfast radio? Um, oh, you go through ebbs and flows and you really need to, you need to f- be with someone who 
you, you're not fighting for the same space. You know, it's really, I think it's important not to be exactly the same. So you want, you want to be able to have your own, so it's not a competition. Like their, their funny is not your funny. So you're not both jumping for the same joke because that's really tiresome where you, you're going to say something and they, they're going to say the same thing and you try to jump in before each other. So you need to find someone who is uh, different to you but who you can fit in with, you know. Did you know Kate Langbrook beforehand? I knew her from just doing little bits on Triple R, which is, again, where I, before we started on the – she used to do the full-time on community radio. So I knew that she um, was great to work with us and she was just had an energy that was um, – you could bounce off basically. So and I knew that I knew that we would work well together. And we've had our moments over the years. We had a, we've had fights where we had one fight where she didn't come to work for three or four days because I'd been mean to her. <laughs> so, so we've had our moments. But you know, over the twelve years, twelve years together, we were on radio. It's um, now last few years were our best actually. Where yeah, and, and we could absolutely have kept going. There's no doubt about it. But um, oh, you know, you want to do different things, and if you're ever going to do something different, you have to stop what you're doing probably to do something different. So, but yeah, she's great to work with. I've been talking a bit about this when people ask, you know, about, you know, Idol and why yeah. I left Australia and stuff like that. And I'm like, well, in your job, do you stay the regional manager forever? Yeah. No, you you go and become state manager or you go and, you know, you move in regular corporate life. Yeah. You move and you try to do other things because you got good at what you're doing. Absolutely. You want to be challenged. Yes, you want to be challenged. You want to attempt different things. You know, you've done what you, you know, you you, you, you know, you, some jobs you think, well, I've got to this level and it's, it's going to, I could stay there forever and that's good and that, and that would be okay. But you know what? I, I want to try something new. And yeah. you know what? You can always go back. Probably well, not always, but often you can go back if you if you find out that all these other things you tried weren't for you. You can probably end up doing something similar to what you were doing. What are the conversations like that you have with someone that you work so closely with, and with a team that kind of relies on you for their livelihood? When you first start going, putting your hand up, going, "This might be coming to a close." Like who who said it first? Ah, uh, look, it was we were. It was probably me who said it first, and you know, I mean, she knew it was coming. Where you know, I, I that. I uh, wanted to do different stuff. So, um, you know, and it, it, it took her, I mean, it took her a little while probably to accept that, you know, let's do different stuff. And I know she's loving life right now. So, and she was talking to her the other day and she said, you've done the right thing, you know, so, and she's really happy and whatever she ends up doing, she's brilliant at. So that's, she's fine. So, right. um, yeah, but it's, it's, we signed one year contracts for probably six or seven years in a row. <laughs> Because it was always just one more year. Yeah, I did that. Just, yeah, yeah, just one more year. Just one more. Just year. one more. They give you so much more money if you sign yeah. three years. <laughs> I'm like, I know. Just my, one more. My manager at the time was like, sign a fucking three years. <laughs> like, ah, just one more, man. Just met this girl overseas. I'm going to go get married. I don't know if I want to do it again. And then they signed Ricky Lee. And I was like, fuck, I'm going to lose my job. Back. <laughs> it was crazy, man. Yeah. That's where I think that, that's, where I, uh, that's where I first remember meeting you. At Nova. Yes. And you pulled me up very quickly when you went, no, 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 you've met me before. Yeah, look, I think, you know, I mean, you know what? We, I met you and you were in the, in the middle of your, you know, when Australian Eye was the biggest thing in Australian television and you were like riding that wave and one morning and, and yeah, you came in and you hadn't remembered me. No. And, um, yeah, I wasn't happy about it. I was not happy about it. I swear to God, I was a different guy back then. I was more sensitive. I think now I'm more able to, as if it was, you know, it wasn't your fault. You're bloody busy, you know what I mean? But it was my ego, my pathetic ego, which would be annoyed because someone didn't remember me. Let me tell I mean? you the truth. I, you gave me, you gave me a Logie. Yeah, right. <laughs> On live national television, yes. you gave me a Logie. Yes. And I don't remember it. <laughs> You know what? And that was, I actually did a good stand up bit before I gave you that Logie. That was my first. I actually, that, that was a big moment for me because I presented a world at the Logies and um, got some really good this laughs. This is like our Emmys. This is our yes. big television yes. awards show. And you were giving out the award for best light entertainment program. And it was the first year that Idol won. Yes. I'd just broken my left hand. So. I only know what I was wearing because I remember looking back at footage of it. I was yeah. wearing a very shiny black suit yeah. and I had my hand in a plaster cast. I must have had like six or eight beers by the time I yes. got on stage. And, I, and this is a, a drinking champagne in the beforehand yeah. in the limo. Yeah. yeah I, I was That's out of my mind. You know what? I no longer ever want to get angry that anyone in the world doesn't remember me. I, I don't – why do I care whether someone remembers me or not? I really – in my mind now, 
people going to remember me or not remember me? And it's got nothing to do with me. So that was that was my immaturity more than your immaturity no, at getting it angry really at that. Kind of freaked me out because that was the first time. Because I remember that I remember the bit in the morning because I think I just won. They'd just given me a big comedy check for being Cleo Bachelor of the Year. Right. Yeah. That's when I came in to see you, and it was the next morning. So I'd been out on it on the piss yeah, the night before, yeah. and I remember being super defensive on live radio, going, "Oh, but you were off your face." And he said, mate, I don't drink. <laughs> and I said, typical Australian response, why? And he said, because I'm a terrible drunk. <laughs> and I remember that moment so clearly when I'm like, this is a message, man. <laughs> like, I was telling someone just last night, like, you know, I'm working at Bachelor right now. Yeah. And I'm meeting all these people. Hey, how you doing? I'm watching. Like, yeah, we've, we've worked on it. <laughs> and I'm like, well, I don't drink anymore. And I'm grateful I to know. meet you. I'm yeah, grateful absolutely. to work with you now. So you've, in those situations, you've got to say, not, you've got to say uh, good to see you. Good to see you rather than good to meet you. I'm just real honest, man. Yeah. I just tell them straight <laughs> up. Because at that point, then I can also kind of go, I don't know if it's excusing or making like a small amends. Yeah. Like, well, just so you know, life's very different now. Yes. <laughs> life's very, very different well, now. Well, look, I yeah, I had that experience of not remembering stuff when I was like 21. Just before I started stand-up comedy. Like I, I haven't had any I haven't had alcohol since I started stand-up comedy. That's amazing. Yeah, so, which is over 21 years ago now. That's incredible. Yeah. Man. I started, yeah, I stopped very early. Yeah, before I turned 22. But mm. I I remember um uh, the end of 2009 it was the last season of Idol and I remember coming um, and filling in for Charlie who'd hurt his back on the project which is like a it's like an Australian daily show it's like a nightly yeah. news wrap up show and it's serious and it's funny and it's funny and it's serious and it's live and it's very exciting and I remember working with you and I'm like he's doing breakfast radio he's working every night on television he's doing national commercial he's got a family and he doesn't drink. Huh. <laughs> Maybe I could do that. <laughs> oh, look, I could not have done what I've done if I still drank. I don't reckon I would have even started stand-up comedy. I'm, yeah. I'm pretty sure I wouldn't have had the mental fortitude to start stand-up comedy and to continue at stand-up comedy in those early days when I wasn't going very well if I drank. I don't reckon I would have done it. All right. I, don't, I don't reckon I would have. I wouldn't have. I wouldn't have been able to get my mind together enough to do it. So, I... You know, I wish I didn't say that to you when you said when you said that to me on radio because it's such <laughs> I hear it all the time now when I tell people I don't drink. And I I I say to them, I pretty much parrot what you said to me. When yeah. they say, Why don't you drink? I was like, because I can't stop it for start. Yeah, I'm that's, a bad drunk. That's yeah. pretty much it. You see people who shouldn't drink, they're they're around everywhere. They're not everyone, there's only some people, but you see them, you go, oh, you think mm, you shouldn't drink. You shouldn't drink. <laughs> <laughs> probably one in 10 drinkers you look at going, you shouldn't drink. Yeah, it's uh, probably – and it's okay. Yeah. It's okay not to drink. Yeah, it is okay not to drink. That is the thing that I say to people who are thinking about stopping drinking. I go, it's okay. It really doesn't make much difference. No. You, know, you can still – if you want to socialise with your drinking friends, you can, and they will let you. You, It's, it's in your mind if there's an issue. It's not in their mind. They'll took, get over it real quick. Took me a little while. Yeah, because in your mind, it's not in their mind. They don't care. I, I, stay, I kept my friends. I'm 22. I'm, I've got all my mates are mad drinkers. Well, did not lose one friend and was able to go out with them at any time and stay out as late as possible wow. without drinking. You know, these are country drinkers. Yeah. They're proper drinkers. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, we're drinking? Let me put my, <laughs> let me put my gum boots on. <laughs> I'll just put the tarp down now yeah. so when I come home later, <laughs> it's, it's going to be an easy cleanup. <laughs> and, and, and you know what? The opposite sex, especially women, respect you. They do. They just actually, they, most of the, the sense of the ones who are, you know, you want to be with anyway, just actually admire it, that you are able to not follow the crowd. You're able to follow your own path. They actually admire it. Like that, the drinking you're describing, that sounds like Brisbane drinking. Yeah. It's like what I thought was normal. Mm. I was like, oh, no, this is what we all do. Yeah, this, is what, this is how everybody yeah. drinks because yeah. everyone I saw drank that way. Mm. There was no one in my life that had one and yeah. then went home. Yeah. It was, oh, no, we're, we're going by the jug today. We're not going <laughs> well, by. Well, you're getting a shout. And you, you <laughs> yeah. drink till you pass you come, out. You come back, you know, from, yeah, the, from exactly. the bar with like two jugs in each and hand. You, you can't pull out of it. Yeah. And you just, and then yeah. you, oh, I didn't want to. Yeah. It was like. I just keep drinking until the magic starts. That's what happens because the magic's going to come any moment. I just have to keep drinking and the magic's going to arrive. Never came. Yeah. Um, but then when, you know, I remember I remember getting to Israel. It was Israel the first yeah. time I went. I was like, 
oh, I'm the only, I'm the only one drinking like this. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, this is odd. And they're all like, I don't know, just just a half <clears throat> glass for me. Like what? <laughs> who who orders a half a glass of wine? I know. Is it a UK thing? I think it, it's from the heritage. The Irish obviously drink that way. The Irish go for it. And I think it's a, the Irish heritage, maybe. The intertwining of the socialising. It's just the, getting yeah, so getting hammered. Yeah, I think it comes from that Anglo-Saxon absolutely. area. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm. Yeah, hammered. I remember you, you know, when you were first talking to me about it. Yeah, like, yeah, people look at me like I've got two heads. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm, um, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm just comfortable with it now. Absolutely comfortable with it. I still occasionally have a dream where I'm drinking, though. I won't deny that. Twenty years down the track, still dream of drinking occasionally. Yeah. I have using dreams. Mm. I wake up freaked out because yeah. they're really lucid. Yeah, and I think, you know, I'm back on it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. <clears throat> but it's you know it's, you know I was talking to a bloke last night and I'm like. It's it's amazing because I get to now live the rest of my life not being that guy. Yeah. Because that guy wasn't me. Mm. That guy was just like a reactionary version of myself. It was yeah. just pure lizard brain. There's no hippocampus involved at all. There was yeah. no upper level thinking yes, whatsoever. Yes. It's all reaction. Yeah. When you're like that. That's yeah. why you don't you don't remember anything. Is your hippocampus completely disconnected? You just go off pre-programmed. This oh, is what worked yeah. last time. Absolutely. I remember running to I was selling Bart Simpson tickets. You could buy a ticket to win a Bart Simpson doll at the local show, local you know carnival yeah. in Warrnambool, and it was during the day, obviously. But and then a woman came up to me and said, oh, "You can actually speak." And I said, "What do you mean?" She said, oh, "I've seen you out." in pubs around here for the last couple of years and you've never been able to speak, huh. like get to the point where I couldn't speak. Like, wow. I, I, really? I can't speak. <laughs> like, every, like I'm wondering why I couldn't meet any girls. All right. Because <laughs> <laughs> I've been a – Yeah, no, see, I'm still – you see, I, I'm only like four and a bit years in and I'm still yeah. kind of – and then I'm single and so I've never – dated without drinking yeah i've never really got to the first kiss without drinking it's pretty weird but you can do it you can do it you still you're completely single yeah totally yeah that's you nothing going on really wow intriguing you know you having fun you having fun no you're not god it's been a long time yeah yeah i'm shocked by that i just i've just really i'm an introvert that's why alcohol is awesome yeah. I'm an introvert. I'm going to get a couple of beers with me. I'll become but Superman. Just pretend you've got a bloody microphone in front of you. It'll <laughs> be fine. Absolutely fine. Oh, yeah. That could work. Yeah. That could maybe. Just do podcasts around the, the clubs of Sydney. <laughs> just do podcasts. Who wants to be on my podcast? You're, be- you're beautiful. You're one of the many beautiful women in Sydney. Do you want to do a podcast? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not going to Um. I uh, it's dark. I can't see how much time we've gone. Is it time to stop? Almost. How long? When do you have to go? I've, you know what? I've got to be at a. I'm meant to do some radio thing at five thirty. Oh shit! That's all right. That's it's around the corner. Are you going around the corner? Yeah. You're going across the street. Uh, Ultimo, which is not far from Chinatown. Ah, Ultimo's right there. Yeah, it's right. I can give you a ride. Yeah, all right. Because I've got a car down across the street. Yeah, good. Um, so let me quickly say that, you know. Yeah, it's okay not to drink and you're going to be all right. <laughs> you are going to be all right. It's going to be okay. There's no doubt. And I used to make the joke that when people asked about weed, I was like, oh, you'd be surprised. My career skyrocketed when I stopped drinking, stopped smoking weed. When I left Adelaide and stopped smoking weed, everything exploded. Yeah. When I stopped drinking, it was even crazier. Yeah. And that was my life skyrocketed. And this is I got divorced, unemployed, and lost a house, but it was still Amazing. Yeah, because you're lucid. You know, you actually, real life itself is enough, people. It's enough. <laughs> you don't need anything else. The fact that you are breathing is amazing. <laughs> it's amazing. Can you see right now? Can you, you can, you can certainly hear. You can hear. Yeah. Wow. It's, uh, it's, it, it's pretty nuts. Um, find David Hughes on Twitter. David, no one calls you David. My mother does. Your mum. Yeah. At D Husey. D Husey. H U G H E S Y. E S Y. Find him on Twitter, davehughes.com.au. Um, what's it like being a dad? It's it's brilliant and funny and exhausting. Like, I mean, it, I, I, we did, my family just left, as I said, we're in Sydney at the moment in this apartment. We had my wife and three uh, small children running riots for, for eight days. And you know what? I mean, it is exhausting. But, you know, the the moment where I, I went back to Melbourne with them and then I came back up here and so I'm going in the taxi on the um, to the back to Melbourne airport to come back to Sydney and I'm like, oh, my God, I'm free. You know, I'm free. <laughs> but then I get up here 
and this is so quiet. Yeah. Now I can't deal with it because right. I'm so used to the madness and the hilarity of these children. And my wife will say, oh, you're rubbish, you're loving it. But, um, yeah, so it is, it, it is joyous but exhausting. So, And this is from someone who's done breakfast radio and nothing, then a nighttime radio TV is, show. Nothing is more exhausting than trying to handle three children under five. There's nothing more exhausting than that in my mind anyway. And well, yeah, there's certainly nothing in the entertainment field is more exhausting than that. Maybe working in a salt mine or somewhere, I don't know. But it's bloody full on, full on, and my wife's an angel. Do you find the like the pressure of I've got to say the right thing? I can't. This this could be twenty thousand dollars in therapy if I say the wrong thing. Uh, yeah. Look, I just want to I want to teach my kids to have fun. Just have fun, kids. That's all I say. Have fun. Just do not take life seriously. Life is about having fun, and and yeah, whatever will be will be. But have fun while you do it. You know, so. I think that's probably going to get us out. Um, DaveHughes.com.au. So, yeah. Mate, I'm so grateful that you could do this with me. Mate, it was fun. Absolutely. I'm really, really, really happy. Mate, you're looking great for me. You just can't believe that you're not dating. Come on. Come on, Osha. <laughs> well, I, I, I tell people all the time, I, I say, look, I'm 40, but I cheat and then I'm, I'm vegan and I don't. Mate, you look great. Drugs. You look like you're 30. <laughs> I shaved. <laughs> when my beard is up, I get all grey. Yeah, awesome. yeah. Yeah, no, my my, my completely. And I've right. got I've got TV hair because I just came from shooting. Yeah, yeah. So well, got... you look fantastic. Mate. Okay, <laughs> seriously. Thanks, brother. I'm going to take your photo. You want to put some pants on? Yeah, I'll put some pants on. <laughs> <laughs> That's it, Dave Hughes. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter at d hughesy d h u g h e s y is where you can find him, and he's touring all around Australia. If you happen to be in that country, DaveHughes.com. Uh, is where you can find all of the details. I really am very, very, very grateful to him for being so honest with me and allowing that conversation to happen. I've been wanting to have that conversation with you for quite a while and it wasn't really right until now. So there you go. Now you know. All right. Same as before. We're still friends, but now you know that thing. There it is. Okay. In other, words, in other news, I should say that my other show that I do with Natalia Perez is finally back. Let Me Tell You Something is back, and I'm very, very, very happy about that. She is ace, and uh, we love making that show. So you can find that in iTunes. Just search for Let Me Tell You Something, and uh, you'll find that in the iTunes store. Uh, that's where, or any podcast app that you use, you can find Natalia and I there. Um, it's a great show, and I'm uh, very, very grateful that uh, we can make it again because we're in the same country and same time zone and it's working out. Look, I uh, hope that you have a good week, whatever it is that you're doing. Um, Halloween's coming here in the States, so I think I'm going to have to get some pumpkins out because I think I'm the only guy in my neighbourhood without a pumpkin on the uh, in the front yard or the balcony as it works. I live in an apartment, so I'm going to have to get Halloween-y. I don't even know what I'm going to wear for my costume. I don't know. And... Um, Thanks for being a part of the show. Please subscribe. There's an email list. You can find it at oshaginsberg.com. If you have any questions, just uh, write your uh, question and reply to the welcome email that you get there. Other than that, look, have a great week, whatever it is that you do. Um, I should mention, though, by the way, if, if you did listen to this and there was anything in there that did resonate with you and you, there is help, and I don't do it alone, um, there is help. If you uh, if you don't want to drink anymore, there's ways to do it. And there's plenty of help out there, plenty, um, and it works. So yeah, that's about it. I don't know what else to tell you except uh, I'm so I feel so naked. I feel totally naked in front of you. Okay, all right, just shut up, hit send, Ginsburg. It's gonna be okay. It's gonna be all right. People are gonna be okay with this. Sleep well. Dream of beautiful things. And you know what? I did dream of something beautiful last night. And it was really nice. Okay. Talk to you next week.